do you, do you even, even nature? nature? I nature, therefore I am. Huh? I'm stumped. <laughs> I'm tree stumped. This is Judith speaking, and this is Do You Even Nature, a podcast in which we explore the tricky relationship between humans and nature. Today's episode is about Zeus. Not the god Zeus, that is, <laughs> although I'm sure he had a lot to say about our relationship with nature and other animals. But I'll be talking about zoological gardens. A lot of us city dwellers don't often get a chance to get in touch with animals, unless you have a pet or go duck feeding in the park. So zoos offer a great opportunity to flee from the urban jungle, spend some time outdoors, and see other fascinating creatures up close. To explore why people enjoy going to zoos and what actually happens there, I ventured out to visit too. In the first part of the episode, I'll talk about my impressions of my trip to Copenhagen Zoo. In the second part of the episode, I'll tell you more about Austria's famous edible zoo. Yeah, you heard me, edible. So on a beautiful sunny Saturday, I decided to venture out to Copenhagen Zoo, the closest zoo to Lund, where I live at the moment. Here are some of my impressions as one of the 1.2 million people that goes there every year. Alright, welcome to Copenhagen. Some trivia for you guys. The train ride over the bridge takes exactly 2 minutes and 48 seconds. And I'm not going to make way to the Copenhagen Zoo. I am now in the Copenhagen Zoo, or Kevinhaun Zoologis Kell. If any Danes are listening, please excuse my pronunciation. Um, maybe some more information about this zoo. It was founded in 1859, which makes it one of Europe's oldest zoos, actually. And here we can see 3,000 different animals of 264 different species, so this should be exciting. Um, the weather is beautiful, it is warm, well, Scandinavian spring warm, <laughs> and it's a great day to go to nature and look at some animals. One of the first people I got to talk to was Meta, a zookeeper at the wildest place in town, which is the slogan of the Copenhagen Zoo. Um, maybe you can start with your name. What's your My name? name is Mette. Mette. Okay, nice to meet you. Um, how long have you been working at the zoo? Uh, 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. And how do you like it? Has it changed a lot over the years? Yes, uh, I think uh, the animal welfare is better now than 20 years ago. Yes. And um, have you always wanted to be a zookeeper? Or like, what made you want to become a zookeeper? Yes, I always want to be a zookeeper uh, when I was a little girl. You just always liked animals? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. What's your favorite animal? The giraffe and the hippos. And you actually get to work with them? Yes. <laughs> that is very nice for yeah. you. Uh, how does it work? Who, who works for which animals? How is it decided? 
Do you have to somehow specialize in an yes, animal? Yes, you specialize you and you... Um, yeah, if they become a... I don't know, a keeper the squids and then you can have here so you can see how they feed and they tell them how uh, important it is to give them a, a, a real beef, a real horse or a, a giraffe or so they can act normally, not a burger and stuff like this, but the, the food that you um, feed with they, they eat in the nature. Do you think it affects the animals that um, people look at them, like that they behave differently here because uh, people are staring at them or maybe being disruptive or...? No, they are born in, 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 in the zoo, so they... Um, the giraffe... Uh, it's okay if you stand here and look at them and they give birth. Uh, they are, yeah, used to. There's a lot of people around them. And if it's not okay, they stress with close it all and leave them alone. But normally, they, it's okay. okay. <laughs> she then went on to tell me about the conditions the animals live in, about which people can learn more when they attend the tours in the zoo. And that kind of ties into how the zoo presents itself. As I walked around, I saw signs that read, The zoo is environmental responsibility, Denmark's largest school, conservation of nature and endangered species, togetherness and new knowledge, research, ethics and animal welfare. And there was also one wall on climate change and the loss of rainforest. But do people actually learn? To find out, I talked to some people about what brings them to the zoo. Most of them were there with their kids, just enjoying the nice weather and having something to look at. What you're about to hear are some snippets from my talk with the zoo visitor Chen Lin and Charlie. So maybe we can start with your name. Yeah, my name is Chen Lin. Yeah. Nice to meet you. Yeah. What brings you to the zoo today? Uh, my kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a sunny day, so. We have to do something. So zoo is the best place to to come. Why is it the best place? Because uh, there's uh, animal and uh, there's a lot of light and playgrounds. So mm -hmm. it's pretty good, pretty relaxing. So she can just play. I can read the book and I think she uh, she liked the playground a lot. Actually, it's a very good playground here. Or what else? I think the Copenhagen Zoo has very good um, design, I'd say. So, so actually, the kids can interact with the uh, animal. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty good. Actually. Does can she like the animals? Yeah. She says she wants to become a, a zookeeper, or whatever. Like, really. Work with the animal in the future. So. Uh, does she have a favorite animal? Mm, she likes dogs. It's, and it's not anything here, but uh, she really likes dogs. So. What about you? Do you also enjoy seeing the animals? I'm okay, actually. <laughs> I'm just enjoying the sun and uh, be relaxed in the sun. So 
did you go to the zoo uh, in your childhood? Mm, not so often like now. Like I'm from the small city, so it was a little, little tiny zoo. So I don't go to zoo so often. So also in China, I'm from China, so the place I'm coming from, the the zoo is not so well designed, and uh, the animal is not so happy. So I didn't like it. But here in Copenhagen, I think that they make good effort to to keep the animal happy. Or another person I was talking to was Charlie. All right, um, what brings you to the zoo today? Um, actually, it's one of my friends, actually right here, um, who invited me to go to the zoo so we could, well, see, uh, look at the animals. There's not really that much into it. And has it been a long time since you've been here, or do you years. go regularly? Yeah, it's years since I've been here. Like when I was a kid, I was here a few times, but not that much. Mm -hmm. And which animal do you like best, and why? Oh, I think it's the giraffes because I think they're so cool. Yeah. Um, they have those long necks and such. I think it's and they are so pretty. And yeah, I just like giraffes. <laughs> do you like animals in general? Yeah, I do. Um, just yeah, all kind of animals. Do you feel like uh, you learn a lot at the zoo? Um, well, I know most of it already because, well, yeah, I just do. So it's not really like, well, I learned a lot when I was here as a kid, but now it's just to see the animals. Mm -hmm. You think it's important for kids to go to the zoo and to see the animals? Yeah, I think so, because when you like get up close or as close as you can, I think it's it's more like then you know more about them because you have actually seen them though it's not in their natural habitat mm -hmm. i think that well my dream kind of is to go for example to africa or something like that and actually see them like in their natural habitat because this is just too cold for them that is true actually. yeah exactly although the ice here didn't have much ice so yeah exactly <laughs> i guess it's hard to accommodate everyone it's either too hot or too cold, so... Yeah, exactly. <coughs> um, what about animals that are native to, to Denmark? There, are there any here? Um, I haven't seen that many of them, actually. I don't think there is any there. There's um, horses and uh, bunnies and such, but that's pretty much it. And goats. In the huh? kids' part of the zoo. Do you have a favorite memory from the zoo? like an anecdote <laughs> I think I think the best memory I have about the zoo is actually the monkeys um, I've been around this area a, a lot when I was a kid I loved the monkeys I thought they were so funny especially as a kid all in all I was glad to leave this crowded place eventually and just outside the zoo is actually where the coolest thing happened so Copenhagen Zoo is located within a large park, and some parts of it are accessible from the park. As I was leaving the zoo, I decided to stroll through the park to see it all from the other side. I've been standing there at the fence of the elephant enclosure for a while, watching people, when this guy shows up with three massive plastic bags. He started whistling, and these three beautiful gray and white herons flew closer and closer eventually landing on the fence. 
He then fed them with the con content of his plastic bags, and the birds eagerly ate out of his hand while he was talking to them. More and more passers-by in the park stopped to watch the spectacle. When a dog came by and scared off one of the birds, the man just tapped the fence and the bird came back, landing exactly in that spot. The spontaneity and genuinity of this experience made it seem like the most authentic human-animal interaction I had seen all day. And it happened outside the zoo. For our next segment, we're going to visit a different kind of zoo. One of the Copenhagen Zoo visitors I talked to, Nune, made an important remark on the kind of animals we see in a typical zoo, if you will, and their closeness or relevance in our lives. But I think also it's very important for kids of the city to go to a farm or go, like, to, I think it's more important almost to be able to say they have clapped a cow or smelled a sheep, like, basic animals that are not exotic. I think that is very important as well. But the zoo too, yeah. Why would you say that's important? Mm, to understand... Like the zoo or in general? Uh, the, the other animals. Yeah, the I think it, it gives them an understanding of where is the food coming from and how does people that does not live in the city live and work and yeah. I knew a zoo in Austria where exactly that happens. End of March, I departed on another adventure. This time, I went to the Edible Zoo in Bergel, Austria. Yep, Edible. Since I'm originally from Austria, but currently living in Sweden, I took this opportunity to have a little reunion with my mom and my brother. Going to the zoo with my family just felt appropriate after my first experience in the Copenhagen Zoo, being surrounded with families and all. Before I dive into the conversations I had with my mom and my brother about how they liked this zoo, I'll walk you guys through what this place is like. So, the Edible Zoo is part of a famous chocolate manufacturing located in rural Austria. You can kind of imagine it like a giant organic farm or garden. We'll also have some pictures for you on our Facebook page, actually. So come check them out. The animals living there are almost all old and rare species native to Austria and living in large outdoor enclosures all year round. So it's cattle, pigs, chickens, ducks, you know. Some of them almost went extinct because of their inability to adapt to mass animal farming. So this project really makes an effort to preserve the biodiversity. When walking through the premises, an audio guide tells you all about the native plants and animals, including useful tips and funny tales. Perhaps the most striking feature of the zoo is its restaurant in which hungry visitors can eat the animals they have just seen. Well, not literally those ones, but the ones that were on the same meadow just a while ago. The idea behind it is to encourage people to look their food in the eyes, to create a closer connection to what we eat rather than masking it as per usual in supermarkets. From what I witnessed, the majority of people are actually eating meat inside a restaurant. Fair enough, it's fresh and organic and of the best quality. My brother has been here five years ago, and he said that back then he just thought of it as a beautiful spot in nature, and he didn't think twice of eating his schnitzel. 
This time around, both he and my mom said that they couldn't. And here's why. My brother's mission this time around was finding what he called a real exchange or connection with animals. When I interviewed him, he just came from the petting zoo, where he was wondering about how the other animals perceive their interactions as they're looking back at him as he petted them. Was it mere tolerance or genuine enjoyment? Humans and other animals just communicate so differently. My mom says she loved the landscape and watching the animals in their different temperaments. She's a really outdoorsy person, so I think I got that from her. The animals she loved best were the ducks, because they were utterly unimpressed by the spectators. I know what she means. As I was talking to my brother, a chicken slowly crossed the pathway, just minding its own business, not caring at all about the people around it. And that defiance was just refreshing to watch. According to my mom, the main reason for people to go to the zoo is for their children to have something to look at, see animals live. They're not really reflecting on the deeper meaning or a way to get closer to other creatures. And that's kind of what I saw in Copenhagen too. Getting closer to animals seemed to be a big deal for my mom and my brother though. They both loved the petting zoo, enjoyed touching the animals and seeing them in their natural habitat. My brother emphasized that he much preferred this one over a regular zoo because behind cage bars or glass, it feels like the animals locked up for his pleasure, making it feel like a prison in which they don't behave in a way they would in their natural environment anyways. In this zoo, both my mom and my brother had the impression that the animals were taken care of well, according to their eigenart, which basically means their own manner in German. Or as my brother put it, I don't think if this bull was wild, he'd do much else than here. Ich glaube nicht, dass wenn sie jetzt wirklich wild wären, dass der Stier da hinten jetzt irgendwas anderes tun wird. Yeah. Of course, that's a different story here at the Edible Zoo, since most of the animals at this play are livestock. As the cook is pounding some schnitzels in the kitchen, I ask my mom about her thoughts on how we can get closer to animals. Well... She's a psychologist, and I think that's somewhat reflected in her opinion. Her theory, she tells me, is that it has a lot to do with people not seeking out these deeper connections, because they're not used to them unless they had pets. Aber an und für sich gibt's doch im Alltagsleben in der Stadt kaum Begegnungen mit Tieren. If you think about it in your everyday life, especially in an urban setting there are very few moments in which you actually get in touch with animals. Literally, touch. Obviously, you see some animals, but maybe you don't pay attention to them. The petting zoo offers an immediate experience. How do I approach another animal with, with respect? She observed that a lot of people had issues with closeness, distance, and boundaries, sensing what the other being might want or need. And like with humans, that requires empathy. Mere physical closeness is not enough. Especially kids can learn a lot from animals as they show immediate reactions, and kids have to take responsibility. She reminded me of a dear childhood memory of mine, feeding deer with chestnuts. It was an experience back then, an animal that's real, not just a toy 
that eats, looks back at you, that has its own very different manner. It's just exciting to get so close to something seemingly strange or unfamiliar. So I guess that's one of the attractions of animals. And seeing them live rather than in movies, comics, documentaries or books, it's a reality check. You get a feel for their size and the things that they actually do. I agree with my mom and my brother on most parts. The Edible Zoo is definitely a beautiful space, doing a great job at getting people familiarized with organic, free-range agriculture and local animal and plant species diversity. And if one really wants, it can also be a great school for empathy. So after venturing out, I took my impressions back to the studio. Together with Georgia, Cecilia and Tim, we had a discussion about possible futures and alternatives to zoos. Come and have a listen. Okay, so yeah, one question that kind of came up in the course of my interviews um, and my trips to the different zoos was um, what could be the future of zoos or what are alternatives to the zoos that we most commonly have at the moment, which is... Um, zoos in cities uh, that feature exotic animals. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that? For me, I guess the question is, what's the purpose? If we want alternatives, then our goals have changed effectively, right? So, um, and I guess for me, I find going to zoos very sad. Uh mostly because there's, I see a creature that is in meant to be in some wild setting that's kind of replicated in, through a polystyrene rock or something and fake bamboo or whatever, but in actual fact mm. they're in a big cage. And so if you want to move away from that, uh, I don't know, what, what like, yeah, for, I guess for so long um, zoos have been this, to me so now I'm just like I don't I don't even want a zoo Tim I have one idea now um, like how about virtual reality zoos nice. I mean that's already a thing right like Cecilia you, you just told us about um, yeah I'm working with virtual reality as well yeah you're mapping this entire park right yeah I'm mapping a park space uh, or working on that with a team of people so I how about yeah doing the same thing with with animals and you even have so much more creative freedom you can actually kind of replicate their natural environments and you can allow people to to enter and experience them in a way that is yeah i don't know i find that a little bit problematic because i think that the purpose at, of zoos and why people enjoy going to these places is because we genuinely have a desire to connect with these animal species. If we didn't have that, then there would be no purpose of them. And I think that to translate, um, you know, these natural environments into a virtual reality, which although I do work in this field, I don't think that that breeds a positive connection with the natural environment per se, just because this is an environment that's contrived. You know, maybe it's one thing to be using this for educational purposes, but if the purpose is to facilitate a situation where people can have a genuine connection with nature, like, can this be done in a, a space that is made mm -hmm. uh, virtually? Like, I don't know if it can. 
I think for me, this is more about making spaces where these animals can have some or enjoy some level of freedom. Is this like wildlife sanctuaries? Is that the way to be going? Um, I don't know. I don't see, you know, glass cages involved in whatever the future of cultivating this connection looks like. But for me, I don't know if virtual reality is, is the way to go. That's that's super interesting. Just to, to pick up on that, so you having having worked with that and having experienced it quite often yourself, you would question whether the experiences you make in a virtual reality really allow you to connect to whatever you experience in that virtual reality um, with experiencing it in the real world. You, yeah, I would question that. Like, yeah. I think when it comes to the natural environment, especially if we're talking about zoos in particular, I mean. You know, you have this idea that you're going to go to a zoo and you're going to have this, you know, connection with mm -hmm. an animal. Um, and you do that because the animal is standing in front of you living and breathing and you can, it's a visceral experience that you get when you're there. And to recreate this in virtual reality is is wonderful um, in the sense that it can take you places that you would not have access to beforehand. However, if the target is people who already have access to a zoo – I don't know that recreating it in this way is is mm. going to provide that same level of uh, experiential learning for them. I have two thoughts. Like, even if the experience is less convincing, maybe that's the trade-off we have to take when um, preventing animal suffering is simply more important to us. I would say that's that's a trade-off worth being made. And um, But then on the other hand, I'm, I'm also thinking... Does it have to be a trade-off? I mean, I don't want to be a, a naive technology optimist, but <laughs> considering the possibility that virtual reality is advancing quite fast and w will advance further, nothing speaks against the possibility of having like completely immersive virtual realities that cover uh, the full spectrum of sensory experience. And I think when we get at that point, it will be very hard to say, to distinguish then between between the real and the virtual world. And it will be very hard to advance this argument that you get an experience of a lesser quality from it. And that, I think, leads to this to the to the to the to the bottom question like what is it with fabricated environments versus untouched environments? I think because that's so strong in this idea of nature that what we actually want is like the untouched one and everything that has somehow been yeah, touched by human hands lost this initial quality. I don't know, maybe we could elaborate on, on, on that thought. Like why why do why do we think it's it's weird? Why do we think that something fabricated could not give us the same experience? as the real deal, even if it could theoretically be identical. This is about the idea that if you are recreating an environment like a zoo in a virtual reality space, the danger is, is that it follows that we don't actually need the real thing because we can recreate it um, in this kind of pseudo space that you can access at your leisure. And uh, to me, this is really about uh, conservation And zoos, you know, kind of fly by the um, ability to justify what they're doing in the sense that, you know, there is a lack of space for these animals. Of course, like, we all know what the problems are. Animals becoming extinct, 
And so to preserve them in these spaces is really kind of the last gasps of trying to make sure that they're still going to be here. And if we can just pop them into a virtual reality that you access, you know, why do we bother if if we can get the connection that way anyway? But I think like the, the fact that we have already popped them in zoos, which are very much manufactured environments, is already the very act that you just criticized. And I was going to say, like, the point that you made was that um, if we just replicate some sort of environment, we don't need the real deal anymore. Um, don't we do that all the time? Like when we build parks in cities, we try to recreate nature. We try to make it accessible. When we build zoos, we try to recreate like a natural wild habitat. Like we already do this just with simpler technological means. And how? Why is it? Why is a zoo? any more real than a virtual reality it's already manufactured like if you're arguing against the the virtu- the, the the merit of having virtual zoos i'd say the zoos that we have nowadays they're just as fake like then scrap all of this together and the only thing that we're left with is like the the real but shrinking and constantly endangered habitats that are left yeah that's what i was thinking um zoos in themselves are sort of an artificial environment. I mean, I I went to two very different zoos um, and one kind of had all these exotic animals and tried to replicate their their habitats and it was it felt very forced um you know you were following all these these pathways and then you had all these enclosures um that were mirroring different parts of the world so within five minutes you were in the arctic and then in the sahara and um, having that replicated in virtual reality, um, so the, the whole zoo experience, I think, is not that problematic because I wouldn't mind substituting zoos um, the way they exist right now because they are actually extremely problematic institutions, also historically speaking. But then I guess what you said was um, we shouldn't replicate nature or wilderness as such or like wild wild habitats maybe and maybe not replicate but replace Mm -hmm. yeah anyway sorry carry on (laughs) i think that's maybe an interesting part about this this difference of replicate versus replace i think there is this this innate fear that if we're able to replicate one thing (laughs) The incentive to protect the original is lost. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I have that fear as well. I yeah, think that's that's, I, that's maybe the, yeah, the, the bottom of, of the a, issue. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I have my point again. Um, <laughs> yeah, so maybe we also have to, because what you said at the beginning, we have to look at the purpose of zoos, and you said it's because um, people want to connect to animals. But when I went there, I didn't necessarily see that. I mean, I guess you could argue, okay, how do you actually witness? connection making how do you actually see if people relate to what they're seeing and I guess that's a hard thing to observe unless you talk to the people but it seemed like most people who were there um, just perceived it as a really nice space for recreation and it was a sunny day it's nice to be outside sure there are some animals around but it's mainly for the kids you know so they have something to look at and then I wondered okay so what's what's the difference between um having this this very artificial space where you kind of guide it through your experience or just going to the park and look at some ducks. 
I think that's really important and actually a really excellent point, Judith, because I think what this really is about is questioning, like, is this nature? And that's what we're doing here, um, hopefully, is like, is a zoo nature when you go there? Because the reality is, is that the environment is a contrived one. And so if we are going there to anticipate some sort of connection with the natural environment and in return, what you actually received is uh, something that is highly materialized and artificial, um, I think it's really important to kind of say, hey, hold on, like, what is it that we're actually getting when we go here? Mm -hmm. And then uh, what also contributed to the artificiality of it was the kinds of animals that were on display, because when I went to the zoo in Austria, it was only animals that we already do domesticated, um, you know, centuries ago. And so you could say that these animals... Um, because some of us eat them, for example, or we use them for, for other purposes in terms of animal products, um, have a different relevance for us in our everyday lives. And so maybe it's more important to build up a connection with these animals rather than exotic animals that are very far away. Um, because I think what zoos are often missing is um, to make that link or to make that connection between our everyday life actions and then how we actually affect the animals on display. It was a very uncritical environment where um, you go look at orangutans, but then uh, no one actually explicitly says that, you know, by eating palm oil, you're actually making the wild habitat of this animal smaller. And so the relevance um, for our own lives is not really pointed out. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And like maybe on the one hand, like having a zoo that does house uh, these animals that are part of our lives and we don't even recognize it um, is actually a really important thing. Maybe the way in which that happens is problematic, but I think that attempting to cultivate a relationship with, for instance, a pig that normally your relationship would be bacon with this animal. So I think that, you know, at base... It is an important thing to say, you know, these animals are part of our lives. We just kind of, they're behind a curtain. So I think on the one hand, that's actually really um, fascinating. What I wonder, though, is to what extent you actually have a chance to make a connection with an animal in a zoo. Because it's a very one-sided <laughs> if interaction, if you can call it interaction at all. It's like... You act upon the animal, you gaze upon the animal and you, there's, there's no way the animal could reach you also for your safety, which is, which is ironic in itself. Like you, you don't even want to interact with the animal because they could be potentially dangerous that it's, and that's exactly also maybe like part of the kick some people get out of going to Zeus, this mm. sense of power. So what I wanted to, to, to say is like question whether this is an appropriate way of, of interacting with another living being. And when you said that they're they're a part of our lives, I was I was gonna question that, like how many of us are around animals in our daily lives anymore, apart from pets? And then they're they simply don't they they don't play a role in most of our lives anymore because we don't need to keep livestock. In that sense, I think the point that I was trying to make is simply that we have a relationship with these animals, uh, whether it's one that we acknowledge or not, and that largely this relationship is hidden. And so, for instance, 
um, with our clothing. I mean, of course, with our food, but a lot of our medicines um, and things like that are made from animal products and those animals are hidden from us. And so having a forum to interact with these, uh, you know, forms of nature is essential uh, for cultivating a relationship with the natural environment that is reciprocal. What about petting zoos? Because both my mom and my brother were most fascinated uh, with the petting zoo part of the edible zoo, and they just enjoyed themselves so much, and they were both kind of seeking out that connection. And I mean, I enjoyed it as well. It was really nice because I live in a city. I barely ever get to touch animals. Um, what would you respond to that Tim, because you were talking about the whole spectator thing, what if there's actual physical touch? That sounded dirty. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, that's definitely more interaction, but um, it's also, you don't want to go to a petting zoo with lions, right? Like, you just want to have the nice and pleasant and cute animals. Or, I mean, there's these, there's these crazy people that pay to, like, put their heads in between like a lion's <laughs> teeth, right? I've seen pictures yeah. of this. I don't think, I think that like petting zoos and I think even, I don't know, I, I, I yeah, I question the whole connection to animals in that moment because I think petting zoos, tokenistic, it's, it's fleeting, it's just cute. It's just fun to pet a cute animal and I don't think, and I think that what you said, Cecilia, about... Um, it being essential for us to have these uh, connections to animals because, you know, we have we wear woolen jumpers and whatever. Um, whatever, like, you know, animal products is in everything that we eat or whatever. Um, but when we go and we look at animals, we don't think about that, like, supply chain between them and us and all the, the, the our consumption. And I think that... It's essential to have that, but we, we don't have that. No one has that. Maybe that's kind of a, a bit of an answer to Judith's initial question of like, what does the future of this situation look like? And maybe that is uh, a way forward is to say, you know, when we do seek out these connections or however this happens to play out in the future, that it is really brought back to what the relationship is from start to finish, not simply about... Uh, the commodification of the animal where you go and you experience it and uh, it is one-sided in that mm -hmm. way. But I think that was the original point of the edible zoo. So there's also a restaurant on the premises. And what I witnessed there was that the majority of people ate the animals they just saw. <laughs> <laughs> the majority of people ate meat and... Um, I mean, obviously, it's not literally those animals. It's not like you point at one and they slaughter it. It's more like, okay, whatever you get in this restaurant has been on the same so like meadows a like a few months prior. Um, but there were no questions asked. You know, it was just this nice recreational space. And people even would argue, you know, oh, this is uh, prime quality meat. Um, it's organic. It's free range. Um, and so, hell yeah, I'm going to have a schnitzel here. And I mean that's that's what I saw. Um, so maybe this um, I don't I don't know. I, I mean that's what I asked myself. How do you get people to 
you know, be fully aware and really um, be empathetic about the situation and realize these connections. There's like hardly a more obvious way of doing that. So how? Thank you so much for listening. Um, We'd actually be really interested in hearing your thoughts. So let's get a discussion going on our Facebook page or in the SoundCloud comment section. And if you like the episode, we'd really appreciate it if you give us a like on Facebook. Special thanks also go out to AF Radio, uh, Luxus, and our friends at Milieupodden. If you don't know it yet, it's this really amazing Swedish podcast uh, talking about different environmental issues. Um, If you speak Swedish, definitely go and check them out. Thanks so much and bye! Okay, and what do you like best about the zoo? Mm. Uh, I like the birds, I think. Mm -hmm. What about you? Uh, I like uh, the beer. Mm-hmm. Bear. Yeah. 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 Yeah.